Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Six Rings. The dynasty continues. And football things. The X, the Z, vertical routes. I love football, man. With your host, Andy Hart. Well, Andy Hart is a football genius. I'm not going to pretend I sit down and watch the All-22. Next question, Andy Hart, please. Nick Fitzy Stevens. Is that Fitzy with you this morning? Absolutely not, Fitzy. This just in, I'm dead inside. And Chris Shine. Derek Carr, however, is a guy I would ride tonight. I think Matt Patricia's a boob. Thanks for joining us once again for another Six Rings and Football Things podcast in the midst of Patriots training camp. I am Andy Hart from WEEI.com. The other voice you'll hear today, or one of three voices you'll actually hear today, is Chris Shime Time Shime. Chris, how are you? I'm wonderful, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. And we will also be joined in the middle of the podcast by WEEI.com's Patriots writer Kyrie Thompson. And I'm intrigued to talk to him because I think he is a little more... Uh, upbeat and positive about the Patriots offense than Mm -hmm. almost anybody else. So it'll be good to get that flavor uh, in sort of fly in the face of the concern and, and, and criticisms and questions that have been flying around Foxborough. But I am once again, fresh off the practice field Thursday's practice Patriots back in pads. Uh, Today was the supposed hot day, but I'll be honest with you. I'm not even sure it was hotter than the day before it was. It's been hot. Like we're in the midst of technically and not technically a heat wave. Like we've had plenty of heat the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. So turn the dials up, if you will. Yeah, it's training camps. It's supposed to be hot. And there was actually a nice little breeze today that I think kept it from getting oppressive. Um, I know there were some reports that like the heat index could approach like 100 or triple digits. Not sure it actually was that. I will say Bill Belichick did not back off. They had a nice two hour plus practice. They finished with a lot of, you know, conditioning for some guys. The offensive lineman had to hit the sled extra, the five man sled after practice. Um, DBs and wide receivers at the end of the practice, they were throwing on deep ball after deep ball after deep ball. So I think there was an emphasis to kind of push them to their limits, take advantage of the conditions, because we do need to remember September 11th, they will be in Miami. It will be hot. They will will. fade. They will fade in the second half of that game. It is a common September occurrence. It happened last year. And you you ask a lot of these guys, um, veterans, one of the first things they always looked at on the schedule were the Miami games, the Buffalo games. Like, when do we go there? When do they come here? Is there an advantage? Because September in Florida, in Miami, is different. Hell, Tyquan Thornton was talking about it. He is from Florida. And he's like, yeah, it's not really hot out here. Like we deal with way more heat and humidity in Florida. (laughs) So 
you know, that's just the reality. It's hot for us. It's hot here. You think you're hot in the time, but it's going to be hotter on September yep. 11th in all likelihood. So they were on the practice field. Um, I want to go through a few like um, tidbits, news and notes coming off the practice field, and then we'll get into some generalities, I guess. Um, we haven't talked a lot about specific attendance at various points, but um, I want to touch on some guys today. For example, uh, Malcolm Butler was not in uniform the day before, was back out there, full go practice. So nothing to be worried about there. Devin McCourty, who was working on a side field yesterday, back on the field, full go, nothing seemingly to be worried about there. Uh, Dalton Keene continues to miss some practice action. Number 44, third year tight Does end. Does matter all that much, though? To I was going to say, there might be something concerning there in terms of his missing practice, but I don't know if he was going to make the team. I don't know if it's exactly. just about time to move on from him. Um, you know, those Speaking two... of Dalton Keene, has Devin Asiasi been at practice? He has. Um, there you go. He's caught a few balls, I would say, um, unspectacular, just kind of yeah. been out there. like Nothing of note. You could sell me that he could be a third tight end, or you could tell me he's going to be cut at the end of camp. Like both are very believable right now. How, not to get it in totally on a tangent, but just how bad are those two picks now when you look back on it? The Keane and Asiasi picks. Not just great. Literally zero production out of either of them. Well, that's not true. Devin Asiasi had that one touchdown in like the season finale <laughs> two years ago, was it? I think had to have been. I believe it was to end his rookie season. He flashed and had a catch for a touchdown. Is that am I is let's see? My memory... So he he's so irrelevant, you have to scroll down to find his um pro football reference page. It was the end of 2020, it looks like. Thank you. There's a reason I know I'm the expert on this show because I remember stupid little stuff like that. Of course, I'm yeah, supposed to. It's two kind catches of for 39 yards and a touchdown against the New York Jets. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, Dalton Keene not out there. Devin Asiasi not exactly making plays. Neither of them really talking points uh, of the summer so far. Uh, 28 on your program. That would be, of course, James White, the veteran running back. Not in uniform by any means. Still on PUP. Yep but was walking all around the practice field late in practice, walked out from Gillette stadium and was out there watching the workout with teammates. Um, this may sound stupid, but I just think it's good to see him, like see him walking yeah. and, you know, he's good for the locker room. Like, I, I don't know if you still are in the same boat, but to me, it still feels like a, he's going to start the season, not on the roster. He's going to be an injured guy. That they're going to hold out uh, until halfway through the season. If they can bring him back because he's healthy enough to play great. And if not, he's just out the entire season and kind of just on the roster. And if he collects a paycheck, it's a golden parachute retirement gift type. Yeah. Thing. Belichick I mean, loves him. He's, he's a, he is a Patriot through and through. If he's going to collect a couple million bucks, it's fine. And then he retires at the end of the year or whatever. Correct. Uh, Bill Belichick's opening comments today. I found interesting. Like sometimes he throws these little phrases in that. I don't know if they're throwaway phrases for him or he intends to do it, but what caught my ear today is miles to go, but we're inching along. And oh, I thought that. that was actually a really good quote. Um, and I agree with him. This team right now has miles to yeah. go to where they need it to feels be. Like it. But, and we'll, again, we'll talk with Kyrie Thompson from WEI.com a little later in the podcast that they are inching along. Every once in a while you see flashes of hope. And, and we've talked about the weirdness of the offense. Like we're all negative about the offense, but 
at various points, we've talked about individual guys. Mm-hmm. Thornton shining. Parker yeah, there's, shining. There's been moments for different people. Like you, you right. we talked about the defense. Barmore has shined. Um, you know, even even some of the the linebackers have looked okay yep. at times. And so uh, it's good to see that there's glimmers of hope. Um, but if everything doesn't come together, then it's all for naught. Well, and what I would say using Bill's analogy, miles to go, but we're inching along. At some point, you better crawl. Then at some point, you better get up and walk. Then you better start to lightly jog. And then and at then some you got point, a full sprint. You got to get moving. You got to mm-hmm. get running. So, you know, baby, baby steps or baby inches, uh, as Bill might put it. Um, I will say there continues to be uh, miscommunication and frustration with your quarterback, number 10, Mac Jones. Um, that seems, I, it seems so weird to me, man. I, I, Curtis to Chris Curtis's credit, uh, one of the executive producers of the morning show, uh, he made a really good point. It's like, why I, I understand that you may there's, so there's, there's rumors now swirling out there, um, that they're changing the offense specifically because Matt Patricia and Joe judge couldn't handle the Josh McDaniels version of the offense. Okay. And so that's why it's simplifying and, but either way, like the fact that Belichick is putting his second year quarterback in this kind of position, just it feels uh, he, he handled the offense last year really well to his credit. And it, did he make some mistakes? Sure. He's a rookie. It's going to happen. Um, but he handled it well and, and he didn't show nearly as much frustration. Uh, and, and even in moments where he struggled, he didn't like it didn't come out like it wasn't visible in a lot of, in a lot of scenarios, right. He kind of mentally and he internalized it and used it as fuel and kept going. But right now, like it's just constant reports of him being visually frustrated. And so like, it's almost like Bill Belichick is doing him a disservice, at least for now. Right. And this is, this could all change in the season. He could, just soak this up like a sponge and in the middle of the season be great. And that's, and and that's definitely a possibility, but at least right this moment, it feels like he is just, he's letting down his young quarterback. Well, first of all, I don't buy the thing about it being dumbed down for the coaches. Um, That, that makes no sense to me. Uh, Those guys are good NFL coaches. They've coached at a high level. They've been head coaches. They've been around this game for decades. I think they could learn the offense. They could teach the offense. I don't know. Play calling, feel for the game, all that. We'll Mm -hmm. see where that goes. So I don't buy that. What I do think is, and I'll steal a little bit from, I don't know if you watched Joe Judge's media availability four or five days ago. He made a comment about, and it it was kind of a strange comment in terms of him relating to his players. And then he brought up like his 16 year old kid and that helps him stay sort of uh, young, young or aware of what teenagers early twenties might be into. And and then he said, we have to be aware of things like the transfer portal, NIL, NFTs, like these modern ideas because they trickle up like kids coming in, a kid coming in who just made a million bucks off an NIL deal or something, or got paid at Alabama by their NIL, group might be different. Like we need to be ready for that. And that's where I think the realization has come. Your offense was at a high level with Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels and guys that were experts in their field had been doing it for 20 years. You can't expect everybody to do that. And I think you look across the league and you know, this as well as anyone from the fantasy football world, Guys like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and these guys, they're coming right in and they're becoming all Successful. pro receivers. Immediately. 
Why are they doing that? Why can't we do that? Is it just physical where guys come in and may struggle with our system? Or are we not catering our system to the modern athlete player game? And it's one thing to say, well, our system was really good. We're going to keep it because Tom Brady's still here or Josh McDaniel's still here. That's how they do business. They're gone. We're left with young coaches, young players, young talent, new talent. Now's the time to change it and maybe become a little bit more like the rest of the league and do things in a way that other teams do them simplified. Colleges do them simplified. You know, I, I always go to Lincoln Riley when you look at him call plays and he's got like this little sheet of paper that's like a five by seven note card. And you're like, wait a minute, he doesn't need the huge color-coded, two-sided. No, it's a different game. So I don't, I, to be honest though, like I don't necessarily buy that either, right? Like the things need to be simplified because in my opinion, one of the best people, you mentioned trickling up, one of the best people at utilizing things that trickle up and understanding that process is Andy Reid. And mm -hmm. he his play sheet is effing massive every sure. year. Yep. And there is no bigger proponent in the NFL than Andy Reid of ideas that trickle up because his his theory is, and he has this, it's been on record before. Um, he believes that football moves in five year cycles. And so what teams are doing in high school right now, uh, in some cases and early college years, is going to trickle up into the NFL within the next five years. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how the life cycle of football moves. And that guy's offense has never been it, it has never been simple. Like he he runs a, a, a masterful offense and he has for 20, as long as Bill Belichick has been a head coach and been winning. And I understand he hasn't had quite the success that Bill has, but at the same time, he's been very successful. And, and so um, I, I'm glad to hear the idea that Joe judge is believes in the trickle up effect, because I think that's a real thing in football. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't, I don't buy the simplify thing has to be is part of that that trickle up effect I, I i'm not i don't believe i don't subscribe to that belief at all well the reality is the patriots had a more complex offense than most and yes. one of the issues is people get caught up in like plays or like size of the playbook yep one of the biggest issues was a receiver having pre and post snap reads and mm -hmm. his route being decided by where the corner was, where the safety is. Oh, where did the safety go to? That's why Ocho Cinco had such a difficult time in Correct. the system. Yeah. So you can have a complex system in terms of lots of plays, lots of motions, lots of routes, lots of combinations, lots of of you know tight bunch formations versus wide foot, like all of that stuff. But if when the play is called, you know what you're doing, like I told you what to do, you're running a post corner on this play, that's more simple than you need to find the free and the strong safety. And if the outside corner has leverage on your outside, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so there's I, two different forms of and there's even the verbiage gets in there. Like there's different ways that a system can be complex. Pre-snap, post-snap, play call, verbiage, oh, number of plays, number of formations. And I think. I'm interested to see here if it trickles out using the word trickle a lot in this podcast, trickle yep. up, trickle down, trickle out. If we find out that Tyquan Thornton doesn't need to know on this play, six adjustments, there's either a route or maybe one adjustment, like yep. the most dramatic adjustment. Yeah. So the old Patriot playbook would be filled with basically a lot of option routes, right? Like right. that's kind of, and that's what one of the things to Tom Brady's credit made him so good. And but to I, I guess it, it it's it, I'm having a hard time understanding how simplifying route reading and adjustments 
would then make it more difficult on the quarterback. Uh, I just sneezed. Apologies. Um, Bless you. Thank you. I, I'm, you like that quick with the mute button too. You did a great job there. I was actually surprised. I never, I could visually see the hot shoe, but I never heard the hot shoe. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, that's a <laughs> professional right there. But so it just, I guess that's the part that I'm having a very difficult time understanding is how less options for the receiver then all of a sudden makes it more difficult on the quarterback. And I understand that he's going now from that heavy read to not having to read as much. But at the same time, like if you're simplifying it, if the receivers aren't getting open, I get it. But like, right. I, I who said it's I, difficult on the quarterback though? Well, I mean, we're talking all we've talked about, or not all we've talked about, but a lot of what we talked about is visual frustration from the quarterback. Yeah, that if could just be the guy's not open. So is he pissed at his teammates, or is he pissed at himself? Because I, I think, think there's, there's a very distinct difference there. I, I think there's more pissed at what's in front of him than what's in between his ears. In okay, my, that's like, fair. Again, we are. And the guys aren't getting open. That makes more fall. sense. Yeah. And and some of it has been bad routes. Some of it has been like Kyrie. The other day when he threw his hands up, Kyrie was like, well, there were like three guys running verticals. They were all in the same spot. Clearly somebody did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's not on Mac. Like he's going to be frustrated. Yeah. Like what the F yep. are we doing? Um, and there has been a lot of him pulling the ball down, but I don't know if he's pulling the ball down because there's no one open or he's pulling the ball down because he doesn't know what he's supposed to be seeing. I would kind of be dubious of that. I actually think some of it is just simple guys aren't getting open. And then even today, we saw another one of those. I know I mentioned it earlier where it was Aguilar shook, uh, shook Mills was wide open, except Mac threw to where Mills was like they clearly weren't running. Happened again today where a guy, uh, I think it was Trey Nixon, cut a route off and came back for like a outside comeback. Mac threw the ball down the field for like a fade. Like they weren't on the same page. So there's still some adjustments and they're still not communicating or seeing those adjustments in a proper manner. Yeah. And so I think with that idea in place too, I, I mean, I am far more firm in my belief that this team is not going to be anywhere close to a playoff team. And it's, and it's, and it's unfortunate, right? It's, it's partly due to schedule layout. If they, if their schedule was flipped, the back half of their schedule was their front half. So while they're figuring it out, they're playing all their tough teams that they're, they may just lose to anyways, because those teams are better. And then the second half of the season, once they actually figure out the offense a little bit more, uh, they start having success and are playing lesser quality opponents. They could win. They could win a lot more of those games. Unfortunately for them, the back half of their schedule is nearly impossible. And so to me, right. that indicates, okay, the first half of the season is going to be us figuring it out. But then the second half of the season, we just may be running into a train that we can't stop. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I mentioned. I did a hit, my daily hit on Gresham Keith. Mm -hmm. And it's like, today's day eight. And you're like, well, you know, I just want to caution you. It's only day eight, which I said on day seven and day six. And yeah, exactly. I don't know which day you decide we got to stop saying it's just day X and say, holy crap, it's day X. We need to start to show some improvement. And kind of like we talked about earlier, miles to go and we're inching along. Stop inching. Start walking. Start yep. crawling. Start, start crawling. Start doing start something. Covering more ground than you're covering now. And there's some truth to that, but it's a work in progress, you know, as I joked, and they need to do more work and show a little progress because so far it hasn't. Um, a couple other bullet points from today as we wrap up this first segment of Six Rings and Football Things. Uh, Jelani Tavai, who has Ooh, been okay. in the, the, um, the news cycle of late because Bill Belichick had some great comments about him on the Sirius XM uh, channel with Pat Kerwin that he does that interview during training camp every year. And he talked about how 
Tavai is going to be a piece of the Patriots puzzle, and he seemed to be praising him all four downs, could contribute first and third. Uh, my guess is you may not see Jelani Tavai. He went down with a leg injury oh, today. Oh, that's brutal. That looked um, serious from afar, and then the the always scary slash telling sign, Matt Patricia, Gerard Mayo, Belichick, they all went over, gave him like a fist bump while he was on the ground. Usually a sign that they believe it's a really serious injury. They're, they feel bad for a guy that put a lot of work in. He then went to the – they have one of those blue tents, just like on the sideline end of the practice field he went there not under his own power had to be held up by guys on either side of him to get there couldn't put weight on the leg and then steve belichick and gerard mayo went down to the tent and kind of poked their head in so i gotta tell you i i don't think there's anything i feel worse about than training camp injuries that might put you out for the season like tim it happened to tim patrick in denver like he was primed and ready to have this massive season gets injured and yep. then you see a guy like Jelani Tyvai, who has been in the news cycle. Belichick is is praising him a little bit. It's like, okay, maybe he could be a factor on the defense, and then he could be done for the year. And that's just it's just sad. It's it's unfortunate. I and, really I it's the one thing I hate about football sometimes. And coaches say the same thing, teammates say the same thing. Like, you know it's a possibility. You actually know it's gonna happen. Like yeah. you go to camp with 87 guys. I gotta stop saying like, by the way. I listen to one of our podcasts. I say like too often. I need to stop. It's a crutch. Move on, Andy. No ums, no likes. Anyway, you talk to players, they know it's gonna happen. One of you know, you, you look at yeah, what Tom Brady right. has done is unheard of. He's yeah. gotten he's gotten injured once. He's missed one season due to injury. Like that is not common. It's 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 completely unheard of. Right. And the quarterback position is actually one of the safer positions yeah. on the football field. And then the unfortunate aspect from the two sides of the coin from the Patriots, I think they need guys like Tavai in the mix at that second level, linebacker level. They don't have three guys that they can just put out there and say these are our linebackers will be and fine. Play every snap. Yeah. I think you needed a group of guys, four, five, six, that Bill can pull from. Oh, this is your week. This is your situation. This is your team. Whatever, pulling you, you part, you parts to the defense together, the puzzle pieces, as he's calling them. The other side of that is a guy like Tavai. Unfortunately, you miss it. This is your opportunity year. You get hurt. You miss a year. Maybe you're slow to come back. Rehab next. All of a sudden, your you career out on that opportunity. Yeah, for a guy like him, opportunity knocks once maybe yeah, not all that it's such a bummer it really is and it's sad to see uh, a little more upbeat um so we talked to a number of players after practice today number of young guys Tyquan thornton i enjoyed talking to him talked to cole strange a uh, couple things off of those first of all today was slip and slide day i'm not sure yes. if you're familiar with the tradition i sure am i saw the uh the tweet earlier that it looked as though there was a coach hosing down a certain spot on the grass indeed the entire i would say waiting for belichick for hit for him to do his pre-practice press conference for about 15 20 minutes somebody hosed the hell out of a grassy area <laughs> and then when they went out prior to practice uh they were all brought over there matthew slater took control of the hose and they would roll the ball out as they always do. And the rookies, all rookies, including coaches, coaching rookies, medical staff rookies, have to dive and recover the fumble and get sprayed down, sprayed in the face. Cole Strange said he got sprayed right in the face by, by Matthew Slater. And it doesn't look like a garden variety, pun intended, garden hose. <laughs> There's a little power behind it, more like a uh, a fire hose with oh, some, yeah. some pressure. And, you know, he was joking that, 
they do it on purpose and then they squirt the ball away. So you actually have to chase it. So it gives him extra time to hose you down while you're chasing the ball to <laughs> recover funny. it. Uh, but a couple of the players actually said it felt good on a day like today. Oh yeah. I bet uh, when it's 95 know, degrees yeah, out, oh. a little extra cool water to start practice. Uh, and then a more serious note, Cole strange was asked about having Belichick. We've talked at various points, Belichick coaching the offense. He's always around the offense, hands on. Uh, he called it a huge advantage to have Belichick over there. He said, Belichick will tell you something after a play that you screwed up, you messed up, you need to work on. And you, you take it in because he's Bill Belichick. He's your coach. And he said, then you go watch the film and it's exactly what Belichick told you. There's no, he doesn't mess up. There's no gray area. What he said to you live on the field is what you see on film. And you know, you now have to work on to get better. And I thought that was an interesting uh, aspect. And it's an easy pump up for your guy because you want to know where Belichick learned all that from? Tante Skarnecchia. Oh yeah, no question. <laughs> Best ever. Uh, so yeah, just to, uh, and then Nick Cayley, not on the field. We were right. Has not been on the field. Bill said uh, he's working uh, when he's ready. He'll be back out there. So I still continue to something think, again, going on and he's probably fine. sick. Probably, you know, the COVID that everybody, yep. when people disappear for a week, hell, I deal with it with like my youth sports. Hey, there's no a kids not available for a week or 10 days. You know where he is? He's probably got COVID. Oh. Like, so um, that's that's pretty much a, a rundown of what we're dealing with on the Patriots practice field. They will roll forward Friday night, their final practice of the week, because they've gone. That'll be their fifth straight day. They'll need a day off on Saturday. They'll be inside of Gillette Stadium, the season ticket holder, ticketed practice event on the game field, which unfortunately in recent years has been kind of lame. It's yep. not, not the blue-white scrimmage it once was. It's now sort of a walkthrough to prepare. And Bill talked about this, the mechanics of a game. So everybody knows, he said, more than half our roster – he has never played for our team. So they don't know the game situation preparation. You know, he always, the cliche is, you know, find out where the game play clock is for the quarterbacks and different guys and the various aspects of the stadium. Uh, but they'll go through that on Friday night. They'll have a day off. And then once they hit Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is basically prep time for the New York football giants in the oh, preseason yeah. opener. So the train, the treadmill, whatever you want to call it, it is chugging along. It is moving. And I guess if we finish up this segment with one big takeaway, it's the offense better get moving too and stop inching along. They need to start yes. covering more ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of it. Football is officially here. It is it is becoming nut-cutting time, as they like to say, and the offense seems to be the ones that really need to kind of figure it out and get going because if they don't, um, bad things are on the horizon to start the uh, 2022 NFL season for the New England Patriots. You sound like that old Nike commercial with the crazy ref. Bad things, man. Bad, bad things, man. Well, we got good things coming up because we are going to talk to Kyrie Thompson from WEI.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Back here for another scintillating segment of Six Rings and Football Things. And we have a guest, a familiar face in the WEEI family, the host of First and Foxborough, our sister broadcast, our sister podcast. I don't know what you call it. Kyrie Thompson, WEEI.com's Patriots writer, joins me, Andy Hart, and Chris Scheim, the usual host of this podcast. Kyrie, how's camp going? It's good. What's up, boys? What's okay. up, man? How are you? So, so I teased it earlier. Anybody who's been reading WEEI.com, your work on there, Listening to First in Foxborough, seeing you on Twitter, the various modern media outlets we all utilize, I think sees that you may have a hint more optimism or positivity coming out of Patriots training camp regarding the offense than most people. Because a lot of people, me included, have been pretty um, cynical, calling it, you know, a bad high school offense, too much holding the ball, not enough positive plays, all of that. So I want you to give me a quick, give me a quick, like, what are a couple uh, positive things you've seen in recent days? Well, essentially what I've seen is that regardless of Bill Belichick telling us it's not uh, teaching time anymore, it's production time. They're clearly still practicing the things that they don't feel they're quite as good at, which Mm -hmm. are these newer outside zone, Sean McVay kinds of concepts. But every time they sneak in one of those little things where it's like instead of an outside zone, it's a duo, like a a standard downhill double team play action. Oh, well, then all of a sudden it looks different, doesn't it? Right. (laughs) And and then uh, every once in a while they'll throw in an RPO like they did some RPO yesterday. They did a little bit of RPO today as well. And you're like, huh, okay, well, that play looked good. And so what it's telling me is that. Yes, it is. It is very frustrating watching them continue to rep outside zone over and over and over again. And it doesn't get blocked. It gets stopped up and they're doing play action. And Mac Jones is like, dude, 
I don't see anybody open and he's running around and, and you're underhanding the ball out of bounds. He's just like, come on, man. Like what's going on? As, as you, you mentioned earlier today on the Gretchen Keefe show. But I think that what I'm seeing is that when they do the things that are more endemic to them, that they did more in the past, they know, they seem to know they've got that in their back pocket. I feel like in the script, sometimes they're just like, okay, look, we're going to rep this, you know, this concept, we're going to try to get it right. But every once in a while, we'll sprinkle in a little bit of something right here that we know how to do. And then boom, hey, what do you know? Look, it works. I also think as a quick note, the two tight end stuff is looking pretty good. And that was something we were waiting all last year. Please like do the two tight end offense that we all thought we were going to see. You're seeing a little bit of it now. And they look good on the field together, meaning Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. Okay, so let's let's take that in a direction because I agree with you on some of the stuff, and we'll get into a philosophical topic either in this podcast or another. Because the the one thing I would question about what you said is how long do you keep trying to learn the new stuff mm-hmm. you, before you just say, "Damn it, let's just do what we do." And I know the answer to that. Once the season gets here, yeah. you have to have confidence in whatever you're doing. Yeah. So. They need to get up to speed with the new stuff and kind of parallel it with the old stuff, or it's just going to be the old stuff because they're only going to do what they trust. But the two tight ends thing. So I agree with you, but I think the the fan, the listener might ask two questions. Yeah. First is, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Sh- I mean, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Jonu Smith is part of that. Also, if you're going to lean on some two tight end sets. I'm a firm believer in the national football league. That means you need three tight ends because somebody's going to miss a game. Somebody's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. So are you ready to trust John U. Smith in a two tight end set? But also are you ready to trust, I guess, Devin Asiasi in a roster spot and a role as a third tight end? I ain't seen that yet. I'll, I'll say that. I mean, <laughs> he, had, he had a, he had a drop today. We're just like, come on, man. Like he's getting he's getting clamped up in in one on ones, and so I, yeah, no, I think that's a completely valid point. And I think the key with a lot of this offensive stuff is that we keep talking about the change in scheme, and oh yeah, they're doing all this outside zone and they're changing the offense. I think really what it's going to come down to is yeah, some of the terminology and things have changed. But in terms of the play calling, I don't think they're going to go full McVay here. I think it's mainly going to be they're going to get closer to balance because they were heavily unbalanced last year and and the year before in terms of gaps and powers like that was what they did they really didn't rep outside zone very much so i think it's mainly just going to be like okay we're going to do more of this stuff because you're right i mean they're not going to sit up there and go full mcveigh if they can't run the plays it's just not practical and and i think that right now what we're seeing is that they're struggling with it to an extent that look okay i think you still you know, keep working at it because you can do some interesting change-ups that help you kind of blend a little bit of your old school stuff with the new school stuff that I feel like is really tantalizing to try. Now with the tight end stuff, I think that with, with John Smith, a lot of it was a chemistry thing. And I actually asked him about this after practice where I think it, it was kind of like, look, we had to learn from this a little bit last year and now you know they're in a better place, so they he's worked with Mac Jones a little bit more. I feel like the rapport is definitely better. They had a little miscommunication today, though, where they they missed on what should have been a touchdown. But I feel like by and large, like in the next team segment, who was Mac Jones looking to when he needed a first down conversion when they were horrible the previous two plays? It was John U. Smith, right? Mm-hmm. They're splitting him out and they're using him in RPOs. They're putting Hunter Henry and John U. Smith on the end of the line of scrimmage and being like. Hey, block the edge on these outside runs. And weirdly enough, when they do that, the runs actually look competent. So I feel like 
Yes, it would be ideal to have a third, fourth tight end. And maybe from that standpoint, you might need to have Devin Asiasi on the roster, even if it's just for, for blocking purposes, because I feel like one of them gets hurt. You're not trusting him to catch the ball. You're going to be like, okay, go in there and block at the same time. I I think right now, the way that this offense is looking, that personnel group has been just about the only consistent positive they've had. So Andy and I have kind of had a a discussion the beginning of the show and, and for a while now with just Mac Jones and the understanding of this offense he is, I mean, you've seen it on the field. He's showing visible frustration. Do you believe that that's more so frustration in the scheme and the in the rest of the team kind of not being in the right place or not getting open? Or is it visual frustration in himself being unable to process quick enough exactly what he needs to be doing because it's new to him? I guess it's interesting because I, you know, without knowing the playbook, it's hard, it's hard to know exactly which and and without knowing his reads, but I would say, I don't think Mac Jones is necessarily a problem here. I think that all in all, he's been fine. Like you're not seeing a whole lot of just absolutely horrible decisions and and horrible throws and, and things like, like, come on, Mac, like, what are you doing? Like, he doesn't look incompetent. I think that there are times when, He's looking at a play and he's trying to read something. I saw this yesterday where they're running like some kind of all verts concept. And I think he was looking for somebody to sit down or like exploit a window more. And they just kind of kept running downfield. No one was looking for the football. I think it was like Nelson Aguilar running up the seam. And I think that uh, Mac thought he had an opening and Nelson's not looking for the ball. And he's like, come on, man. Like he checks it down to Ty Montgomery and he's like doing the, the palms up to the air. Like what's going on here? And so I think that it's a little bit of that, just trying to get the execution part down and him being the perfectionist that he is, he wants to win every single rep. I feel like when it comes down to who do I trust to execute more, like, for example, like, is it because Mac Jones isn't processing or the rest of the offense isn't processing? I'm more inclined to think it's the rest of the offense and not Mac Jones because just everything that we've seen over the past couple of years is that he generally knows what he's doing. He prepares well, and he doesn't make a whole lot of bad mistakes. So I I think hopefully once this operation starts to smooth out, we'll, we'll see Mac Jones just be like, look, yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to keep making the right decisions, get the ball to the right people. And you see glimpses of it. I just think that the rest of the unit around him has to tighten it up some. It's interesting because that's where I wanted to go because I feel like we've seen flashes of all of the receivers looking good at yes. various points, like Devontae Parker, Tyquan Thornton. Actually, Kendrick Bourne might be the most quiet of the receivers so far through camp, but I feel yeah. like they've all had their – and it's weird because all we've talked about is negativity of the offense, passing game doesn't look good, and then you look at individual receiver performances, and at times it looks really good. And I even yesterday when Jacoby Myers talked to the media, he was very bullish on the group. Yeah. He's like, I think we have great things we can do. Are you buying the idea, which was sort of posed coming into camp, that they can be better than the sum of their parts? Yes, they don't have an all pro. They don't have a pro bowl. They don't have a number one. But they have a bunch of pretty good receivers, including, I think, Tyquan Thornton. I think he's gotten off to a nice start. Are you buying the upside of the receiver group, I guess? I mean, I'm buying the original supposition that it can be 
greater than the sum of their parts. And and I I like what Tyquan Thornton's been doing. And and I like the fact that he has been really going in on special teams and and applying a lot of effort there. That's what's going to get him on the field. And it's not just about like, I, I've seen scenarios where he's going down the field and he's drawing two defenders already because they know about him. They know about his speed. And, you know, he has, I haven't seen the ball hit the ground one time when it when it's come his way even if he catches it out of bounds he's still catching it so i i like what he's been doing the thing is that yes in an individual standpoint and one-on-ones they look good like they're breaking these cornerbacks off and 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 getting open and there would be times where you see it in, in team drills you're like man that looks good but it's weird that you have these McVeigh-ish concepts where you got the tight splits and bunch formations and making things weird for defenders. Like, okay, I can't really jam you. Where are you going to go? And they're still not getting open. And I think I noticed it a little bit finally during one of those team drills that the mesh points and, and kind of the, 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 the route breaks, how they all are supposed to work together. Some of it's just not quite there yet. They're kind of, sometimes running into each other a little bit and and the the traffic is getting too congested and they're not getting open the way that they should because they're trying to like step around each other right or they're like running into a defender so i i would hope that once the the familiarity starts coming through we're going to see a little bit of that but yeah, I think it's been frustrating and, and, and stuff because this is supposed to be easier for the receivers to get open and it's right. not happening. That said, you see glimpses of, yeah, when they get one-on-one matchups, they can be tough. They can all be really tough to stop on their own. And you would think that when you put it all together, when you have you know a bunch of good receivers, right, and, you know, okay to slightly better than average, that you could have a better than average receiver unit, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, as with this podcast, and I feel like every other show and podcast out there, it's been primarily focused on the offense from the defensive side of the football. Let's give them a little bit of love here. We, you know, Andy and I have done a bad job of doing that this week. <laughs> but uh, uh, who is standing out on the defense? Like, I, I mean, I, the name that keeps popping up, and you even mentioned it on the Greg Hill show this morning, was is Christian Barmore. He's the guy that seems to be the name that keeps popping up and keeps being the guy that could just completely break out this year is that the one guy that's standing out or are there others also that are standing out as well i mean he is just an absolute wrecking ball right now like watching him in one-on-ones michael and when did get him today during uh one of the one-on-ones but then he got on when back and beat him and then he just absolutely abused poor james ferentz with him with with a club move where it's just like <laughs> oh man that that's that's tough but i would say aside from him I'm seeing flashes that I like from Mac Wilson. And I think that when it comes down to those sub packages, he's going to be the guy who's, who's in there covering and flying around. I mean, he, he popped JJ Taylor at the goal line the other day where it just seemed like he came out of nowhere, right? Like I thought that was, that was an open hole. JJ was going to stroll into the end zone. And then Mac Wilson just skirts around somebody scrapes over the top and just whap, just takes him to the ground. So I like what I've seen from him and I'm weirdly not bullish, but like weirdly positive about Jalen Mills. I think Mm -hmm. that very quietly, I mean, I'm not going to say he's Stefan Gilmore or JC Jackson, but he has consistently acquitted himself well as kind of the most reliable of the cornerback room so far. He's rarely getting just 
abused and beat. Like sometimes he loses, right? Sometimes he gets boxed out by, uh, you know, Devonte Parker, or he got beat during one-on-ones by Tyquan Thornton on what I thought was an awesome catch. It was like some Willie Mays esque stuff, but he's always around the ball. He's got his arms in there. He's not out of position. And, and he has consistently made plays when the opportunity calls for it. So I'm, I'm not ready to say that, oh yeah, that cornerback room might be better than, than we think it is, but it might not be as bad potentially as, as we feared that it might be as long as they kind of requisitely protect these guys and don't ask them to play man coverage all the time. One more name in there, Marcus Jones. I've, I have consistently seen the arrow going up on Marcus Jones and seen him get increased reps, even though Jonathan Jones is back and he's looked really good too, Jonathan Jones, but Marcus Jones, I think is going to play himself into some snaps because he is, he is quick as it's all get out. Tyquan Thornton can't get away from this guy even. And you know, he's, he's been, you know, doing some tight coverage in people's hip pockets and he's probably going to be the starting punt returner on this team. So I really like what I've seen from Marcus. I'm glad you brought up all those names because that's where I want to go next, because I think, and this is nothing new with a Bill Belichick defense. I always talk about the early two thousands when he had, it almost seemed like he always had three guys for two spots and he could rotate them through. Now, when they were at their best, the three guys were like, you know, Willie McGinnis, Mike Vrabel, and you know, they were all yeah. pro bowl caliber players. I'm we not ain't got we, that right now. <laughs> no, but will he have enough of the bodies to play chess, quote unquote, while offenses maybe play checkers? Because I, I don't personally believe they are good enough talent wise on defense to roll even, even say 13 or 14 guys out there. I feel like yeah. they may need to go. 16 17 18 deep with him the puppeteer in the background like each week figuring out who are the guys who are the matchups what is our game plan do you think they are deep enough on defense for him to be able to overcome maybe the lack of high-end talent well at some position groups yes like safety yeah, I think you're deep enough to do that. You've got four safeties that, I mean, assuming, you know, Jabril Peppers is, is healthy enough to get rolling. You got four guys that you feel good about and one guy in Joshua Bledsoe, who's been playing real well this camp. So Definitely. that that's your best position group right there, probably on the entire roster. Then with cornerback, you can see some of the makings of it. I don't know that I love the outside cornerback group quite as much, but I mean, you got Marcus Jones and, and Jonathan Jones in, in the slot, and I've actually seen a flash or two from Sean Wade recently, which we hadn't really seen or heard a whole lot from him uh, for, for much of training camp, but he had a really nice pass breakup today. So I don't know. I, I feel like that room, I'm not so much as like, oh, yeah, look at how deep and good your cornerback room is. It's like, okay, you got a bunch of average dudes that you can cycle in and out depending on the matchup and what suits you best. At, at the time linebacker not so sure about um uh, i just feel like we haven't really seen as much from raekwon mcmillan and cameron mcgrone when they're actually on defense whereas you know mac wilson i think you feel a little bit better about jelani tavai was a guy i'd seen flashing a little bit and he's hurt and i don't know if we're gonna see him again unfortunately um and then on the defensive interior yeah, you've got some guys that, that can that can rotate in and out that you feel okay about, but are they really good aside from Christian Barmore? 
I don't know. And that includes Devon Godshaw, best uh, one of the best defensive tackles in the league. He's made some plays, but I don't know that I feel that strongly about him. So I feel like almost by default, they are going to have to rely on depth because, as you said, they do not have the top-end talent. This is not the boogeyman defense from a couple of years ago where you got Stefan Gilmore just locking everything up on one side of the field and JC Jackson locking everything up on the other side and then hellacious pass rush, right? This is going to be a mix and match. You like Bill Belichick's going to have to scheme his butt off with this defense. He is the new face voice, uh, keyboard, whatever you want to call it. EI.com. <laughs> and we urge you, if you are a fan of the six rings and football things pod to also subscribe Listen to give Kyrie and company a chance over on first and Foxborough. And by the way, his is a little different in that doing some player interviews, bringing in some various guests from around the NFL. If you like analytics, he's a little bit more open-minded toward analytics than I am. Definitely a little bit, a little bit. I'm very close-minded in that area, but he is open-minded to that. And I think, I think if you're a true Patriots fan, that there is sort of a parallel path where the six rings and the first from Foxborough podcast can, uh, can fill in your void of, of knowledge during the football season. So Kyrie, appreciate you joining us, giving us some insight from the first eight days of practice. And I'm sure we will have you on again sometime. Thanks so yes, much, Kyrie. Yes, indeed. Crossover events all day at Odyssey and WEEI. What's up? Y'all have a great rest of your day. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And this is our final segment. Thanks again to Kyrie Thompson for joining us here on Six Rings and Football Things. Excellent insights from Camp Andy. He is far more positive about everything and anything than I or you could ever be. Or maybe even Fitzy. So Yeah, I think he's kind of like taking Fitzy's mantle in a whole different direction. Like he's not being a total honk. Like there's a lot of positivity, but he has reason behind it. And he has... He explains it, and it's not just, a, I'm a, I trust Bill Belichick, do or die. Absolutely. No, there's positivity there, but it is not the Homer version of it's just, and Bill, we trust everything's awesome because we're part of the team. No, he Everything has some reasoning. Awesome. Yeah. 
He has some reasoning <laughs> behind it. So that, that was good. So every yeah. time we need an injection and positivity, we'll cross over and we'll pull the old uh, first and Foxborough podcast leader over to uh, talk to us. That's perfect. I love it. And so now it is time to get to your favorite segment, a little Pat's Puri for you. The first thing I wanted to bring up uh, is an email from our guy, Quality Smoke. He uh, he sent in a tweet last week. Um and we discussed it. He he asked about our, the Roquan, Roquan Smith trade. So it was actually just earlier this week. Yep. Um, and so he's back with another trade question. Okay. So he said the Patriots offense is currently struggling, but the arrow on Nelson Aguilar is pointing up. The Cowboys and Texans are two teams thin at receiver due to receivers going down and both have the cap space to make a trade for Aguilar. Would that be the best move or what would be the best move for the Patriots if an offer for a trade of Nelson Aguilar comes in? Should they dump the cap hit while Aguilar's stock is up and before camp maybe washes away that mirage uh, during the regular season? And while knowing that this will weaken an already suspect passing game for Mac Jones, while acknowledging that Trey Nixon minicamp hype has not carried over to training camp so much that he uh, demands a roster spot. A little little wordy here at the end, but regardless, the point is, should the Patriots consider trading Nelson Aguilar? Is this actually what Belichick is doing by pumping the tires of Aguilar, is seeing if somebody will reach out uh, and extend some feelers? Uh, I think this is a uh, great question from, is it Quality Smoke? Quality Smoke. Um, who I, I appreciate Colin, that but he utilizes all of our avenues he tweets us at six email. rings pod on twitter and now uh, actually in his email he wants us to make sure that we tell the people that when you're emailing it is the number six rings oh uh, no it is the word six rings pod at gmail.com not the number six i thought it was the number oh wait you set up the is email it, address he, so he sent it to both addresses. You idiot. So now I don't even know which one. Yeah, it is the number. That's what I thought. So okay. it is the number six rings pod at Gmail. He okay. sent it to both that the number and the word because he wasn't sure. He covered so, his bases. Exactly. So to clarify, if you want to email us, Gmail, please feel free. We're going to answer all of them just like quality's email. Um, number six rings pod at gmail.com. So go ahead and answer the question, Andy. So I think it's a really interesting question because had you asked me this, Eight practices ago, I would have said, if anybody offers a trade for Nelson Aguilar, you pounce, you take mm -hmm. it, you unload the, the salary, you move on. And now, and I shouldn't do this, like this shouldn't matter. This feels a little bit like the Red Sox. Oh, it's post All-Star break. You got 11 games to prove whether you, no, you sucked going into the All-Star break. You sucked coming out. Don't fall for like a win here or there. And I'm falling for a catch here or there with Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> I just, he mentioned it. Quality Smoke mentioned it. Like, do you want to trade the guy that might be your best receiver in training camp for a team that everybody knows? In the end, I think I would do it. I think yeah. I would take the cap space. I think I would trade him. Because remember, we've also been positive about Thornton. And if yep. you say, Aguilar being gone, there's a hole. But the hole could be filled by Thornton. He might get a more A young rookie receiver. Right. And, and there may be some growing pains there. He may not be totally ready for that role or that opportunity. But I mean, I guess Bill, but when he's the third, when he's the fourth receiving option after, you know, born Myers and Parker, like that may be okay. If there's some growing pains. Yeah. And from my perspective, and I think your perspective, you're a middling football team. So if you can invest yes. in the, the future in the present with Thornton, 
Like, why are you investing in Aguilar? Are you going to extend him? You're going to keep him? Like, he's he only might under contract be... for another year, anyways. He's gone just at the this end of the year. year. Yeah. yeah. So, and last year you didn't want him. Like most fans didn't want him. Like he's too pay, too highly paid. Doesn't do anything. So, yeah, I think if the Cowboys offered a draft pick for Nelson Aguilar, and again, I may regret it. I may by November I may have like Christian Wilkerson on the field and trade okay. Nixon. But to be fair, last year you had Christian Wilkerson on the field, Trey Nixon. I would do it. I would take the cap space. Yeah. I would take the chance that Thornton is ready. Thornton is ready to take advantage of some, some opportunities. I would make the trade. I am. I'm 100% in that camp. I am in the let's trade Aguilar camp. If somebody comes knocking, right? I'm not. Hold on. I'm going to seize I don't know why I'm sneezing so much today. Anyways. Appreciate uh, you, though. The, the, we'll now term it the sneeze button. Thank you. I, I try to do my best here. Um, but no, I am like, I'm not going out and actively searching for a trade for Aguilar. But if a team like, you know, Denver, they, as we mentioned earlier, lost Tim Patrick, if they come knocking and be like, hey, we're interested in Aguilar. Here's a, a, a pick or two that we'd be interested in giving up and we'll take on the contract. It's like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Invest in my future a little bit. Maybe Thornton gets a few more reps during the regular season, only to better himself for the future. Like, I think that's worth it. Again, to me, even though Aguilar has, you know, shown sparks in training camp, he's still your fourth receiver. It, he he should theoretically be after Parker, Bourne, and Myers. Like, if that's the case, I'm fine with trading him. Um, so if if a team like the Cowboys or the Broncos comes a knocking, yes, I do the trade, uh, even if it's only like a fifth round pick. I I'm fine with that. Um, again, I think you made the point. It is. It is allowing Tyquan Thornton the opportunity to at least get a couple reps that he may not have gotten with Aguilar here. And I think that's important. I think that's good. Building for the future is important. And I think so. I think ultimately trading Aguilar is fine with me. Okay. One topic I wanted to bring up, and it's a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart, also to Rich Keefe, and probably definitely tens of millions. Is it hundreds of millions of people? I would say hundreds of millions. Um, fantasy football. Bill Belichick yeah. was asked today about fantasy football in his press conference by a 13 uh, year old. I believe there was like a kid <laughs> reporter at camp asked a couple questions, did a good job. I thought actually, um, but he said, he asked Bill, do you think fantasy football is good or bad for the NFL? Bill said, honestly, I don't really have any opinion on that because fantasy football doesn't mean anything to me. We're just trying to win games out here. So I don't know who's hot, who's not, who wins, who doesn't. I don't really care about that. I just care about whether we win. And it's on the brand. Bill Belichick answer. On brand. I'm not, I mean, you're 48 in the NFL. Fantasy football was like a, what do they call it? A twinkle in the eye of some dork somewhere in the 70s <laughs> when Bill was starting. 100%. Um, but there is an aspect of it. It's a huge part of the NFL revenue streams, popularity. And I would just, I know he can do whatever he wants, but yep. you make $20 million a year. Yes, because you're a great football coach, but you're a great football coach within a league that has endless fans, endless dollars coming in and chunks of that daily fantasy come through fantasy football, like that world. So I love, again, on brand, dismiss it, Bill. And it's the <laughs> ultimate thing, like, Nobody really cares about anybody's fantasy football except their own, right? Like, 100%. I don't care about your team. You don't care about mine. That whole thing. He yep. doesn't care about anybody's because he has a fantasy football team, but it's a it's real his team. team. It's his yeah, team. And exactly. that's where I would, 
I would make a little joke, Bill. Yeah, we can tell you don't care about fantasy football because none of your players are good fantasy football players. <laughs> none of them bring value in that world right now. Not right? a single one. So, not a, uh, no, that's not true. Nick Folk brings value. Uh, okay. Nick, yep, that is fair. <laughs> Nick Folk. And probably if they if they found a way to uh, quantify punting and make that part of fantasy football. Jake Bailey would be great. Maybe there are some – are there any really dorky fantasy football leagues that use yes. punting? I wouldn't be shocked. I, okay, I'm pretty so sure there are. Maybe there. Maybe if we're really optimistic, like one of the running backs will be a touchdown machine or something. But yep. um, I did laugh the way he just dismissed fantasy football, even coming from a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, but it's completely on brand and expected. Perfect. Um, the last thing I got for you today from uh, for Pat's Perry, Andy, is uh, did you see this? Did you hear about this? The ESPN did NFL's best players at every position, offense and defense. Uh, okay. I'm going to go through. We'll see if you can. It'll be a little bit of a guessing game. You haven't seen it. So this so, is a goat tale. Yes. At each position. So who does ESPN rank as the goat quarterback? Tom Brady. Ding, ding, ding. You are correct. He received 44 of the 50 votes. Can so they have 50 people voting on panel it. that picked the top, top 10, 10 positions? Position? I believe so. Okay. And I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So it's well, actually, no, it's just 50 experts, reporters, and analysts to name the NFL's greatest player of all time at every position. Reporters? Tom, Who asks reporters? reporters? Uh, Mike Reese got a vote. So there you, you go. Tell me, like, Mike Giardi gets a vote? For, come on. Probably. Um, so the runners. Shots at people that are on our show occasionally. <laughs> the runner ups were Joe Montana and Peyton Manning, but Tom Brady, the GOAT quarterback. I'm fine with that. You see the yep. sweet GOAT cake that Leonard Fournette got Tom Brady? I did not. I got to go check this out. It's a sweet cake. Well, you can't see it anymore because Leonard Fournette also ate the cake. Ah, of course ah, he did. Ah, fat jokes. <laughs> Love fat jokes. Uh, how about the goat running back, Andy? Jim Brown? Wow. Two for two. He okay. received 23 of the 50 votes. So, uh, the... so far, we are two for two in people with ties to Bill Belichick because Tom Brady yep. played for Bill Belichick. Jim Brown is tight with Bill Belichick, so we're yep. two for two. And I feel like there will be more with ties to Belichick coming. There may be. The runners-up were Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, Emmett Smith, uh, Marshall Falk, Eric Dickerson, LT also received votes. Okay, I can see all those. There you go. Uh, at wide receiver, who's the GOAT receiver, Andy? Jerry Rice. Ding, ding, ding. Right again, 45 of 50 votes. Uh, the only other runner-up, Randy Moss. Uh, and then apparently Belichick. one person voted for Don Hudson. Okay. Yeah, there's was probably Bill Belichick. Bill probably like, yeah, that's a good vote right there. <laughs> that's a great vote. Love that vote. What about Ray uh, Berry? Ray Berry was a great early receiver and then future yes. Patriots head coach. Yes. Yes, he was. Uh, the GOAT tight end, Andy. Well, my vote goes to Rob Gronkowski. Is that your pick as well to who he, he has been selected? That's my Ding, ding, ding right again. Look at that. Rob I Gronkowski. God, by the way. I know these are semi-easy, semi-obvious, but I've, I've never seen this, yep. and I think I am pretty impressive right now. Yeah, you're doing a good job. Uh, Gronk earned 23 of the 50 votes. Uh, the runners-ups were Tony Gonzalez had 21 votes, so he was as close as oh, anybody was going to oh. get. Uh, then Kellen Winslow had two. Ditka, Gates, Ozzie Newsom, and Shannon Sharp all had one vote. They should do this like that um... – Whatever that voting is called that Maine does, if you don't get a majority of the vote, then the top two are the only ones on the ballot and you have to vote again. Yes. I wonder if they just put Gronk and Gonzalez on the ballot, 
how the voting would go. Yeah, because I mean, Gronk only beat Gonzalez by two votes. Right. So any one of those other one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys could have easily right. voted for Gonzalez. So and and Gonzalez is not. I mean, he was a pass catcher. He was a big receiver. He's not the blocker all-around player that Gronk was. And yes, no. I'm biased. I love Gronk. Yes, same. Uh, now, this one might be a little more difficult for you. Best offensive tackle of all time. Anthony Munoz. God damn, you're good. Ding, ding, ding. 27 of 50 votes on Munoz. Uh, Jonathan Ogden was the next closest with 10. Uh, how about offensive guard? I'm just going to go with like the cliche answer of John Hogg Hanna. Oh, no. Hannah was the runner up with nine votes. The Just winner, totally however, was Larry Allen, 21 of 50 stupid. votes. Stupid. Um, and then uh, the other the other guy that got eight votes, Gene Upshaw. And then there's a bunch of guys with three or less. OK. Uh, and then the best center of all time, Andy. I only have one answer for this. This yep. is like one of those trivia question. Cliff Clavin Jeopardy answers. Dermonte Dawson. Uh, he got, he got five votes. Uh, he was, he was on, on the ballot, but not quite. Uh, the, the, the winner with 15 votes was Mike Webster. So okay. it was not a runaway. Uh, the guys right behind him, Jim Otto at 13 and Chuck Bednarik at 11. And I are both, uh, my guy, Dermonte Dawson and yep. Mike Webster, both Steelers, right? Uh, Mike Webster is a stealer. So if Demonte Dawson was a stealer, then yes, I believe so. Okay. Go uh, ahead. Pulling it up, pulling it up. Uh, it doesn't say, hold on. Sorry. Uh, okay. To the defensive side of the football, Andy, pretty easy one for you here. The goat edge rusher. Uh, I'm going to say Lawrence Taylor. Ding, ding, ding. 40 get... of the 50 votes. Only Lawrence 40. Taylor. Yes. Eight went to Reggie white. Uh, okay. one was Bruce Smith and one was JJ Watt. Oddly enough. Really? Yes, J.J. Watt getting a vote. Uh, I feel like that's the, a young vote right there. I agree. How about the the GOAT defensive tackle? Best defensive tackle. This is um, this is the hardest question you've asked. You might have thought it would have been center, but I had a name ready to go. Yep. The best defensive tackle. Is it somebody I've seen play? Yeah. Aaron Donald? Yes. Only wow. the second active player on the list at this point, Aaron Donald, 39 of 50 votes. So pretty well, much unanimous, or uh, like absolutely see, unanimous. After mocking a young vote for J.J. Watt, I didn't want to just say Aaron Donald and not like not think of somebody prior. So the runners up were uh, Joe Green, Mean Joe Green with five. Deacon Jones got three. Sapp got one. John Randall and Alan Page both got one. Okay. Uh, how about the goat middle linebacker? So there's or actually a... it's just actually I lied. It's just goat linebacker. It's not even middle linebacker. It's just goat linebacker. Goat linebacker. So I yes. have a a a visual in mind. Okay. And I'm just trying to scan real quickly to think if I'm missing any uh, Mike Singletary. Uh, no, Mike Singletary only got four votes. Okay. Uh, the GOAT linebacker is Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis got 23 of 50 votes. He's really good. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, the runner-up, though, was Dick Butkus at 13. Oh, uh, I like Then Dick Singletary, Butkus. and then Jack Lambert had three, and there were a bunch of guys, with or a handful of guys with two or less. I think Ray uh, Lewis got a little bit of a modern voting like bias I would there. I would tend to agree with you there. Uh, how about the GOAT cornerback? Deion Sanders? 
Ding, ding, ding. Andy Wright again, 32 of the 50 votes. Uh, Charles Woodson and Rod Woodson both had five. Revis, oddly enough, had four. Um, and then there were uh, Champ Bailey, Mel Blunt, Mike Haynes, Night Train Lane all had one. Yeah, I feel like, not to shoot holes in this entire list, but it's biased towards the modern. Like, there's younger people. I feel like if they well, I mean, called... the offensive line was all very pretty old. Yeah, that's fair. because no one knows offensive line. Like, True. so they pick, like, big names. But I feel like if you did, there may not have been enough um, Ron Borgeses and mm-hmm. um, what's the guy's name from John McClain, the yes. guy from Houston. There could use a few more of those perspectives, I feel that's like. That's fair. Uh, and so uh, the safety position, Andy. Ed Reed. Uh, no, Ed Reed came in second at 15 votes. Ronnie the Lott. winner, Ronnie Lott, uh, 27 of the 50 votes. Brian Dawkins also got four votes. Palomalu got two, and Paul Krause got two as well. Who's uh, Paul Krause, Vikings? I have no idea. I've never heard of him. <laughs> uh, okay, we got two positions left here, Andy. The goat kicker slash punter. I would hope we're back in, oh, slash. Yeah, so it will, it's just it, it will just go goat kicker because they I think they ignored punters. Okay, because I like I thought it was an easy answer. I think we go back to the world of Bill Belichick and the Patriot dynasty and the snowball for Adam Vinatieri. Ding ding ding! Vinatieri, okay. twenty-two of fifty votes, but barely, barely got the uh, the win here over Ray Guy. Ray Guy only got six votes. Vinatieri barely beat out Justin Tucker. Oh, get who th- has twenty-one votes. Was anybody over the age of like 22 voting in this? Apparently not. I just almost swore. Bill Belichick is right. Fantasy football is stupid and people who play it are even dumber because these people voting play it. Well, Andy, the last one for you. The best returner special teamer in the history of football is. I'm going to say Devin Hester gets the vote. Ding, ding, ding. 29 of the 50 votes were for Devin Hester. Dion got six. Gail Sayers had five. Matthew Slater got three votes. What was the category? Uh, returner slash special teamer. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and Steve Tasker got three votes. Des Howard got one. And then Brian Mitchell got three. And that is your goats of every position list from ESPN. I feel like Dante Hall doesn't get enough love. Remember him with the, he was awesome. He was the joystick, right? He would catch the ball, like the two yard line, terrible play, bounce left, bounce right, bounce left, and then be gone. And you're like, that was a terrible play. Unfortunately for him, he was just in the exact same time as Devin Hester, and Devin Hester was just so good that it, right. it's it's hard to remember Dante Hall a lot of times because he was just outshined by a guy who played at the same time as him. And didn't Devin Hester, did he return the opening kick in that rainy Super Bowl for a touchdown? Sure did. I thought so. Against the, uh, against the, Cal- or the, uh, the Colts, Colts, Peyton Manning yep. and the Colts. It was the only way the Chicago Bears were going to score in that game because uh, Rex Grossman was their starting quarterback. As Lovey Smith used to love to tell us, Rex Grossman's my quarterback. Rex Grossman, every time they sucked and people were like, you're going to make a change at quarterback? And he's like, no, Rex Grossman's my quarterback. Sexy Rexy for uh, for quarterback. But that'll do it for uh, Pat's Paris. I mean, we just blended some of my favorite things. Lists, Pat's Paris, all in one little segment there. We talked fantasy football, so we got all those people involved, even though now they're mad at Bill Belichick. Uh, I'm going to say it, as I've said many times, Pat's Paris, the third segment of many of these Six Rings podcasts, is the best segment of the podcast, with or without Fitzy. And I do think it was actually Fitzy's idea. He likes to take credit for lots of ideas. We gave it the name, but it was his idea. Yeah, I think it was actually his idea. He didn't steal it completely from me like he did the Mac to the Future t-shirts that he told me (laughs) were stupid and then made them and sold them and told me, quote, I owe you a beer. No, you owe me like a grand or something. I want some damn cash. <laughs> That's a different topic for a different day. Pay the man his money. 
That's right. Uh, I want to thank Kyrie Thompson for joining us in the middle segment of this podcast. I want to wish Fitzy a great vacation, but hurry back. We'd love to chat with you again, see what your thoughts are on this debacle that is the Patriots offense. And also, I know Fitzy will be itching to tell us his thoughts. We talked about it the other day, but Tom Brady's uh, tampering with the Miami Dolphins. Yes. He's texted me a few times. He is still ticked off about that. Of course he is. Even Fitzy, I now is, is realizing how much of a fraud Tom Brady was during his <laughs> career in New England. Uh, but those are future topics for future days with Fitzy. I'm Andy Hart. He's Chris Scheim. This has been another, another hopefully entertaining and informative edition of the Six Rings podcast. Download uh, the Odyssey app, easiest way to get us, but you can also get us on Spotify, your Apple Podcasts, subscribe, do all those crazy things. Rate, review, yeah, send yeah, us emails to the number sixringspod yep. at gmail.com. Tweet at us at six rings pod that's, uh, let us know what you think that's the one thing i think we're lacking on i think we're doing some good podcasts i want to build the community i want a yes. little more interaction i want more people like quality smoke sending in tweets sending in comments ripping us if you want to rip us that's fine if well you i think we've done a pretty good job of showing too that we're going to read them we're going to talk about them absolutely if you, if you send us tweets and emails we're going to talk about them because uh we love communicating with our people tell us we suck tell us we're stupid i don't care what a you lot of people them. tell fitzy he sucks uh agreed and a lot of people will tell me i suck and you suck you hate mac the whole thing a lot of people tell me i one guy on the gambling podcast twitter says shime is a joyless prick now wow. so yeah, I know, right? That kind of leaves a mark. I was like, I was like, I I laugh all the time. I don't know what he's talking. I'm having you brought I'm yourself full of joy to sleep tonight. And Rich Keefe once referred to me as like a a non Christmas time Santa Claus. I'm just always jolly. Well, now you are a you work with mutt and you become a joyless prick. Apparently. I guess so. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it. Six rings and football things. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week with more info, insight, news, and notes out of Patriots training camp. I'm Andy Hart. He's Chris Scheim. See you. See ya. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus